It is, uh, it is such a privilege to be here tonight. Um, it is a, a joy to be in person together. Um, as you all know, our summer series is on encouragement, and I am excited to share with you what I believe to be one of the most comforting and encouraging passages in all of Scripture for the believer. But before we dive in, I feel that I need to give somewhat of, of a disclaimer. Um, after I read our text, you will hear me quote the same Isaiah 40, verse 8, that you hear Dr. Young quote. Uh, and the reasoning behind this is, is twofold. The first is that even though I didn't grow up uh, going to Grace of Anne, I was brought up on Dr. Young's sermons. And when I was first given the opportunity to teach in Atlanta, I decided that it was something I wanted to do as a way of paying my respect to the, the profound impact that Dr. Young has had on my faith. But the second reason that I do it is, is that I believe it's an important and, and a necessary reminder for all of us. Empires have risen and fallen. Generations have come and gone. But through it all, the word of our great God has continued to endure and will forever. So as we approach our text for the evening, let us do so with that in mind. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, flip with me over to Romans 8 and follow along as I read the 15th verse of the chapter. Romans 8.15 reads like this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word I pray that your truth would flow through me, not because of who I am, but in spite of who I am, Lord, that, that you would be glorified here tonight for your name's sake, that we would, we would all leave here with a, a refreshed and profound appreciation for, for the beauty of salvation. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Commentator and scholar Douglas Moo considers Romans... 815 to be, quote, the most beautiful picture of the believer's joy and security found anywhere in Scripture. What we find in this passage is Paul's reminder and encouragement to the Christians in Rome that first and foremost, they are a new creation. And secondly, that there is intimacy and security within that relationship. Paul Washer has said that at times we forget that Jesus is a person to be loved, not just a topic to be studied. Jesus is a person to be loved, not just a topic to be studied. And unfortunately, I am guilty of the latter, but I believe that this verse is an excellent reminder of the former. So as we dive into our text for the evening, I want us to address this passage in three sections, the first being the spirit of slavery into fear, to fall back into fear, the second being the spirit of adoption, and thirdly, the cry of Abba, Father. First, the, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, there's debate among great believers as to whether uh, the spirit of slavery of fear originates with man or the Holy Spirit. 
men like John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, and John Piper believe that this, this spirit of slavery to fall back into fear comes from, from man's own flesh and sin. This spirit of slavery to fear, uh, as John MacArthur puts it, he says, he says this of the spirit of slavery to fear. No matter how cleverly they may manage to mask or deny the reality of it, sinful men are continually subject to fear because they continually live in sin and are therefore continually under God's judgment. Slavery to sin brings slavery to fear. On the other side of this debate, we have many of the Puritans and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. These men believe that the spirit of slavery to fear is actually of the Holy Spirit. Lloyd-Jones asserts that the spirit of slavery to fear is the preliminary workings of the Holy Spirit to make known to the individual their grotesque sinfulness and the holiness of God, which leads them inevitably to fear. However, regardless of which of these two sides you may find yourself agreeing with more, Paul makes two things clear. The first being that we all used to have this spirit of slavery to fear, but as believers, we no longer do. Whether from man or from God, the spirit of slavery to fear causes us to live a shackled life, a life of bondage to fear, a life of slavery. In the movie Shawshank Redemption, there is a man named Ellis Redding. His nickname is Red. And in the movie, and I apologize for the spoilers, but it's been out for 26 years, uh, Red serves 20 years of a life sentence, and then he is granted parole. And after parole, Red enters into normal life. He, he gets an apartment. He gets a job as a bagger at the local grocery store. But whenever Red had to use the bathroom at his job, he would go find his manager and he would say, Sir, permission to use the restroom. And after several exchanges with his manager, the, the manager somewhat sympathetically and somewhat annoyed said to Red, Red, you don't have to ask permission every time you use the bathroom. You're not in prison anymore. This is exactly what we find Paul telling these Christians. At one time or another, every Christian was a slave, a prisoner to their fear and flesh. But now, as believers, we are not given that spirit of fear. Rather, we are freed from it. The NIV puts it even more clearly. You were not given a spirit of slavery again to fear. Yes, you had this before, but you were not given this again. You are free so why are we free from this spirit of slavery to fear? Because we've been given the spirit of adoption. And while there is debate among great men of, of the origin and the author of the spirit of slavery to fear, there is no debate that the spirit of adoption comes from the Holy Spirit. And now Paul is not so much referring to the regenerative transaction in which we were adopted than he is referring to the spirit that affirms us that we are, in fact, adopted. God, through the Holy Spirit, makes sure his children know they are his children. 
But as his children, reading these words, I believe it is imperative for us to understand what is meant when Scripture uses the term adoption. You'll notice both the beginning and the ending of verse 15 is hinged on the idea of the spirit of adoption. Why are we free from the slavery to fear? Because we now have the spirit of adoption. And what gives us the basis and the right to cry out, Abba, Father? The spirit of adoption. Both our emancipation from fear and our cries to our Father in heaven are rooted right here in the spirit of adoption. So we must ask, what was meant by Paul when he said we have the spirit of adoption? And now before I I dive into that question, I want to address two roadblocks, if you will, that that may impede our, our understanding of this passage. The first is this. Nobody is a natural child of God. No one is a natural child of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as a natural child of God. Our natural bent is complete opposition and rebellion to God. And as a result, something must take place in order for us to join the family. The second issue that that came to my mind that that may be an impairment to us is, is that we find different terminologies for this entrance into heaven throughout Scripture. In the book of 1 Peter and in the book of John, notably in John 3, we see this idea of being born again being used. We're we're told that you must be born again. It's first used by Jesus in his exchange with Nicodemus and then later regurgitated in other places in Scripture. Yet in Paul's letter to, to the Galatians, the Ephesians, here in Romans, we find him using this idea of adoption. And now we know that scripture doesn't contradict itself, so we know that Paul must not be teaching something that is in contradiction to the idea of being born again. So why is it that we find this different use in terminology? The primary reason wasn't that it had a different meaning, is that it was there was a different audience. I want to briefly examine three different cultures and, and their view on birthright versus adoption in order for us to more fully understand Paul's intentions here. In Jewish culture, your birthright, your bloodline, determined your status, it determined your identity, it determined your inheritance, it determined nearly everything. However, in Jewish culture, the idea and practice of adoption was far less common. R.C. Sproul even notes that the concept of adoption is generally not found among Jewish theologians from antiquity. And even in modern-day America, we would consider biological children and adopted children to be of the same legitimacy. We understand what adoption means, but the culture of adoption here in the United States still does not nearly compare to the culture of adoption in biblical Rome. Each year, there are roughly 135,000 adoptions in the United States. Of those, nearly 7,000 adoptions each year are later legally dissolved. For example, just a couple months ago, Uh, There was this woman, she's a a social media influencer. She has millions of followers on her Instagram page. And 
her, her page is specifically catered to, to moms. It's all about her little kids and, and the time they spend together and the fun that they have. And, and just back in May, she made the announcement that she and her husband had uh, decided to rehome this little boy that they had adopted about two years ago because they said they felt he had uh, needs that they weren't meeting well and they, they thought he needed to to be somewhere else. Uh, and this is, this is a reality for, for over 7,000 kids every year in the United States alone. Now, adoption is certainly more frequent today than it was in ancient Judaism, but neither our culture nor the Jewish culture give us the fullest understanding of why Paul used the idea of adoption. To the predominantly Roman Gentile audience that Paul is addressing, this idea of birth solidifying your identity did not resonate nearly as well as it would have in a Jewish audience. See, according to Roman law at the time, the father had complete autonomy over the rule of his children. This meant that if he was displeased with his natural son's skills, behavior, character, or really anything that displeased him, it was perfectly within the father's right to disown the child from the family. For Paul to tell these Gentile Romans that they had to be born again into the family of God would potentially convey this idea of a works-based salvation with the thought of being disowned by God at any moment constantly looming over their head. Adoption, on the other hand, had completely different connotations. Four things four important things, rather, were, were true of adoption under Roman rule. Under Roman law, it meant, you were, it meant you were sought after. You were specifically chosen. Number two, it meant ties were completely cut with your former identity. You no longer associated nor belonged with your old family. Number three, it meant Ties were completely cut with your former responsibilities. In Rome, if you had any outstanding debts or prior obligations, they were expunged. And fourth, it meant that you were permanently secure. Unlike the ability to disown the biological child, in Rome, it was against the law to disown a child that had been adopted. So now, brother and sister, as we look at verse 15 of Romans chapter 8, when asked, what does it mean to have the spirit of adoption? We can say with confidence, I'm sought after. I value. God specifically chose you. When was, when was the last time that, that we sat, that you just sat and thought about the fact that the creator of the universe had your name on his lips before the earth was put into motion. You were chosen. Number two, you no longer have a spirit of slavery to fall into fear. You have been given a new identity. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are now a slave to righteousness. Number three, your debts have been paid. The cross has taken care of your past, present, 
and future debts. Fourth, you are eternally secure. You are eternally secure. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never drive away. This is the picture we see Paul being Paul giving his audience, this is, this is what would enter into the minds of the readers of this letter when they heard it. When he said that you have the spirit of adoption in Ephesians 1.5, the same crowd, he says that, that, that you, you, you have been predestined for adoption. This is what would flood their mind. This is the biblical implication of adoption. Last but certainly not least, we, we come to one of the most remarkable statements in all of Scripture. Paul tells the church in Rome and therefore all believers that we have the privilege of crying out to God, not just in any fashion, but with the words, Abba, Father. As I mentioned earlier, this, this right and privilege is, is rooted in our spirit of adoption. Not everyone has the right to cry out to God in this manner. It is only for believers. And notice the language at the back half of verse 15, by whom we cry. Our cries are rooted in the spirit of adoption. The spirit is what stirs up, what provokes within us this cry. The phrase, Abba, Father, is found three times in the entirety of Scripture. Three times. And in these three times, the first is Mark 14, 36, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours. It's found a second time here in Romans and the third and final time in Galatians when Paul is teaching on the exact same spirit we find here in 8.15. The Aramaic term Abba connotates intimacy, tenderness, dependence, and complete lack of fear. Christ cries out to God the Father with complete trust, depending upon his Father to know what is best. There is total and perfect intimacy between the Son and the Father, and we are told in Romans that we are granted permission through the Holy Spirit to utter the exact same words that Christ himself utters. And I want to be sure that we don't miss this this idea of of crying out, Abba, Father. This is is important to note, this this idea of, of crying out. Out, Abba Father. John Piper points out specifically this, this idea of crying. It, 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 it's not meant, this, this idea of crying out, being able to say Abba Father, is not meant to portray some unaffectionate or surface level request to God. This is not meant to lead us to pray cavalierly. This is not permission to arrogantly or incorrectly approach the throne of God. Rather, this is a cry from our hearts rooted in intimacy and love for who he is. Young men that were 
drafted during the world wars and, and sent overseas to, to fight for our freedom, tens and, and hundreds of thousands of them, some just 18 years old. And, and when the men that survived came back home, stories began to, to circulate that on the battlefield, you could, you could hear wounded and dying men crying out. And, and cries were heard throughout the battlefield, Mama! Mommy! And these words are coming out of these young men's mouths because it is, it is an instinctual, almost knee-jerk reaction for them to call out to the one person that gave them the sense of peace and of security and of love. When I first started here at Grace of Ann, Max and Whitney's daughter Ava was absolutely petrified of me. I mean, we, uh, we could not be in the same room together. She was that scared of me. But if by accident she stumbled upon my presence, she would quickly do a 180 and run towards Max, arms out, holding back tears, and she would say, Daddy! She longed for the protection, the love, the security that only Max could offer her. And likewise, this spirit of adoption that is ingrained in us by the Holy Spirit through our faith in Jesus Christ, whether we are searching for security or peace, love, whatever please our may be, we rear our heads back, arms stretched out like a little girl looking for her daddy, and our soul cries, Abba, Father. That is the picture we see being painted here. As I mentioned earlier, these words were uttered first by Christ himself. He cried out to his father while in the garden. He cried out asking for deliverance, but yielded having full trust that the Father's will would be accomplished. He was then beaten, whipped, mocked, spat upon. He carried his cross to Golgotha, was crucified, and relinquished his spirit. Why? so that you and I could be forgiven. So that you and I could be adopted into the family. So that you and I could be called children of God. And as children of God, we should marvel, we should be in awe at the fact that our creator, the creator and sustainer of all things has not only adopted us into his family, not only given us a spirit of adoption that, that affirms our familial bond, but through this spirit, he allows us to cry out to him in the same way his only begotten son did. So tonight, leave at peace. Leave secured. Leave encouraged. 
knowing that God Almighty calls you his child and that you can call on him as your father. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to call you just that. Father, what a, what a gift. Father, as we, we leave here tonight, I pray that, that we would be reminded of your greatness, that we would be reminded of your great gift, Lord. None of us deserve it, least of all me. <laughs> and yet you freely give. Father, we thank you that we no longer have a spirit of slavery to fear, but that we have a spirit of adoption by whom we can cry, Abba, Father. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great 4th of July weekend, and we hope to see you all Sunday.